Tech is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the intersections of technology and ministry. It is part of the podcast network sponsored by Wells, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Our show today is hosted by Martin Spriggs and Sally Draper. Back to Wells Tech, everybody. This is Martin Spriggs, and we are on episode 688, recorded on August 25th, 2022. Show about technology and ministry, and uh, helping me chit chat about that every couple of weeks is Sally Draper. Hello, Sally. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Martin. Happy to be joining you yet again. What a privilege it is to have this opportunity to chat with you and chat with many across uh, the airwaves uh, as we talk about all kinds of things in tech and ministry. This summer, we've been focused on enhancing ministry with technology, something that um, probably has a lot of appeal to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons and is soon to be a course through Martin Luther College, I understand. That is true. Working on it as we speak. And uh, this summer has helped me kind of think through different concepts. And um, I'm sure there are other areas that we'll explore, but uh, we tried to hit some some very key topics like project management, um, like personal learning networks. Today is actually the last segment in this series. And it's kind of an interesting one, Sally, as we were thinking about um, kind of the tools and topics around enhancing ministry with technology. One thing that came to my mind is the value and maybe even some of the pitfalls in choosing what kind of tech ecosystem you want to live in. Because we all have a lot of different choices. It's not like the old days when we when we first started out in technology, where you had one choice. There was basically one vendor, you know, in a particular category. There was WordPerfect, or there was Prodigy for communication, or I mean, the, cho- the choices were pretty slim. Now it really doesn't matter what category you're talking about. There are the big players, but there are multiple big players. And then there are a thousand little smaller players that fill niches. So we're going to talk a little bit about the advantages of maybe living in one of those larger ecosystems and maybe some of the disadvantages of doing the same. And when we say ecosystems, you know, we're talking about uh, store document storage and document creation and presentations and calendaring and communications and all that stuff. Um, and some of the ecosystems have much, much more. Right. Uh, and maybe that's some of the appeal. To coin a term from the developer's world, we could almost call it full stack, top to bottom, including um, interaction with the ecosystem. So mobile to desktop and all in between, um, you know, apps so that what you're picking works wherever you want it to work. 
So mm-hmm. lots of different angles to talking about an ecosystem. I guess just to get it out on the table, big ones are like Google or Microsoft or Apple. That's kind of what we're talking about. Are you a, an Apple person? So you do iPhone to Mac and all of the happiness and leading apps and tools in that space, or do you do it in the Google space, or do you do it in the Microsoft space? And I bet if we took a poll, Martin, people would say they do it in all three at times. Um, And that's what my answer probably would potentially be as well. It's just, where do you concentrate is probably the better way to say it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And maybe we're not real good people to talk about this because we kind of live <laughs> in technology. <laughs> I think the average person on the street, you know, maybe even our average listener uh, probably is not as in in deep with technology as we might be. So maybe, you know, they do live in some of those ecosystems pretty solely. I think one of the driving factors is what you have at work or what your family does um, kind of drive some of the decisions that you make. I know that for the most part, and let's say on the personal side, most of my family is in the Apple space, at least from a, from a phone perspective. So messaging happens in messages, you know, on the iPhone platform and those outliers, so to speak, that are on Android phones kind of get left behind on, on some occasions. Um, and then at work, you you kind of have to, to to toe the line. So let's say you're a a, a Google Workspaces school. You're going to obviously get comfortable with those tools. Um, so that makes that makes a big difference. I think to talk about one of the biggest advantages of these tech ecosystems. Let's say you're in Google or Microsoft or Apple. Is it's all about the data? How easily it moves from um, phone to computer to person to drive to app, all of those to calendar, to tasks, to, to everything. And that's one of the big appeals of being within one of those systems is it's easy to move from one modality, so to speak, to another. So you're going to take a, an email and you want to make it into a task or you want to make it into a calendar entry, or you want to save it to a file or print it to a PDF um, or share it to somebody. That's going to be a lot easier if you're just in one, locked in one system. Let's say you're in the Google Workspaces system. All that kind of works together. But if you maintain, let's say, tasks in, let's say, the Reminders app on Apple, but you're in Gmail, yeah, that's not as pretty a picture. So data, that's one of the big, big advantages and one of the lock-ins, so to speak, of, of data uh, moving around a lot more easily if you're in that one ecosystem. And add to that the complexity of the device that you're on, and you'd like it to be a similar experience on the desktop as it is on the phone or the tablet. So mm-hmm. um, those kind of things work more nicely and are more similar within the same ecosystem as well. So just, right. um, it, it seems like a simple decision that you make, but then it has ripple effect um, 
outcomes as you begin to work with more and more of the types of data that are out there. And one of the, one of the challenges is just kind of came to my mind is if you make a decision and you make it too quickly or make it for the wrong reasons, or you make the wrong decision, you spend a lot of time afterwards trying to make it right or (laughs) workarounds or hacks or, and then you're now fighting with technology. And I think that's where a lot of people have some frustrations. They're saying, well, I wish it could just do this. And you know, it probably could do that if maybe that decision that was made a year ago, 10 years ago was different, but it's very hard to anticipate what your needs might be when you're making those decisions, or you don't even know all the factors, the moving parts involved with it. I'm smiling, Martin, because I think you and I are made of two different types of cloth when it comes to that exact thing. Like I have seen you time and time again, being willing to, to cut bait and go a different direction. Cause it's just not working well for you. And me, I'm the like, dig in and fight it and try to make it work. Cause I don't want to change. And so that kind of comes down to your personality. You make these decisions and maybe you just are the person that's determined to make it work. Yep. It just, and yeah. we're both spending time on something that's maybe not getting the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's moving data around or transferring to a different program or, you know, doing the research and implementing the hacks that, that, that make it work. So, <laughs> you know, I guess it's a horse or piece. Um, one of the, one of the things that uh, I think a common ecosystem uh, one of the benefits is that you're you probably using similar commands and shortcuts. So your fingers, you've trained your fingers to work a certain way. And for the most part, these ecosystems keep that pretty consistent. So it's control alt something or it's windows key, whatever. Um, it's, it's typically done the same way across applications. And that is one of the benefits and that, that, reduces some of the friction of using using these tools is in that they kind of work and and look usually the the same way Mm -hmm. so less to cause you problems less to troubleshoot um because of that Mm -hmm. because it's it's um, more intuitive to you probably because it's just the way that system works and uh even if you're opening up something brand new, it's probably quicker to learn and that kind of thing because it's going to have that same vibe as the other tools that you use within that ecosystem. Like, right. oh, Google has something called blah, blah, blah. You know, they have about a million things that I don't know about. And I use a whole bunch of them already. But when I f- discover something new, then it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's easy to plug right in with the rest of the things I'm using from them. Right. And if there is a sameness to ecosystems, and now I'm even talking about across individuals, let's say within an organization, so across a faculty or a church office, something like that. Now you actually are speaking the same language. You're using the same terminology. The vocabulary is the same. The documentation that you write, if you are a tech director who's responsible for setting up processes and figuring out how people should work together in some consistencies that makes it that life a whole lot easier versus, well, if you're in, if you're on a Mac, you do it this way. If you're on a PC, it's, 
it's uh, control something, or if it's a bookmark, or it's a favorite, or it's a drive, or it's a OneDrive, or it's a drop, you know, it's, it goes on and on. Uh, calendaring the same way, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, to have some sameness across, not just your own workflow, but the workflow of others. And that's what, uh, that's one of the reasons technology is where it is, is to, to increase that um, collaboration, what makes a lot of sense to try and live the same way, because not only are you talking the same language, but you're supporting it and uh, things just go a little bit better. Your file types are the same. So uh, mm-hmm. I can remember back in the day when we were at St. John's and Sleepy Eye, um, they pretty much were using the Microsoft World. You know, they had Word documents, .doc or DOCX, mm-hmm. and we came in using Google Docs, and that was kind of difficult to mesh the two file types. Now, I will say um, both brands have gone a long way towards being able to translate and open things in the other formats. And so now if you upload a Word doc to Google Drive, it'll open right up and you can edit it with um, Google and still save it as a Word doc and things like that. So um, they've gone a long way to make it a lot more seamless across the ecosystems, but Mm -hmm. still um, it's a lot easier if everybody's just using the same thing. Portability, uh, if somebody comes in or out and you need to transfer ownership of files, security uh, is a huge thing. You know, you, you, secure, doc- excuse me, you secure documents uh, differently in different ecosystems. And it all is dependent on login and roles and responsibilities. If you're across different ecosystems, that becomes very difficult to manage and sometimes confusing. And confusion when you're talking about security is not a friend. So you want to you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page with how you're storing, where you're storing, um, the tagging system that you use or the indexing system that you use or the ability to search one place versus many places. All those are benefits of kind of living in that one tech ecosystem. And then kind of back to that concept of across your work environment, it's important to make decisions that um, place things in places where they're still available if you're no longer there. So Mm -hmm. where you don't have personal ownership, but it's more um, taking advantage of the system and the ability to either share ownership or put it on an account. Um, I think Drive has something like shared drives now and things like that. But um, just ensuring that the world's not going to crash if you need to take away your personal identity out of the mix in the in the work world. Right, right. So those are the advantages, and there are a lot of them. That's why we started with those, and that's, I think, why we wanted to talk about this topic. But there are some disadvantages of kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. One that I can think of right at the top of the, uh, our conversation here is you are kind of stuck with the tools that are provided. So if there is a latest and greatest new shiny to-do application that is outside of your ecosystem, um, you have to now jump out of it and try and make it work if you want to go that route. 
um, versus using the tool that's provided by the vendor, by the horse that you're riding. Um, so if Google's task manager is what you've got, or its note-taking tool is what you've got, but you've seen other much better tools and uh, tools that uh, might fit your workflow better or the way you think better, then you're kind of stuck um, using an inferior tool that uh, maybe you're forced to to do it the way they do it, or you know, do some you know, your own little internal workarounds for for different ways that you want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it can be harder to do that interactivity with other systems. So, um, right. secure emails outside of your email client yep. or email provider of choice or whatever might be an example. It works real well when you're sending to someone else on Gmail or whatever, but if you're sending it outside of that, maybe it doesn't work as well. So um, Mm -hmm. crossing the lines can get a little bit more difficult. Although again, they've made it easier over time. They've worked hard to make things more compatible. Sure. Uh, as we mentioned, you are at one rent vendor's mercy, and if they decide to discontinue uh, a tool or change it, you know, Google Meet comes to mind. They've had I don't know how many kinds of messaging apps and video conferencing apps, and now you have to change as they change, and you know, retrain everybody if you're you know uh, if you've selected that that tool, or um, you just kind of right there with them and you have to kind of live with their decisions versus your own decisions. So that is, I guess, an, an advantage and a disadvantage. Um, so it depends on you know who the vendor is, of course. And then we talked a little bit about, you know, this sharing concept. I think sharing can be a challenging thing if you're not living in that same ecosystem. So if you are, let's say, sharing, if you're a, in the Microsoft world, so you're sharing your your uh, Word docs and your Excel files and your PowerPoints with somebody who's living solely in the Google world. While they can open those files, they can't always. It's not as seamless, so they have to kind of upload it to Drive and use you know the the viewing tools that are available there. And they don't maybe have all the tools that are available. And then if you want to edit and save it and share it back, some things get lost. So there's kind of that something lost in translation effect. Um, So you kind of have to live with that too. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to where you were talking about being at the vendor's mercy, Martin. Um, You know, one thing that we've seen happen through the years we've talked about in the past is the vendor changing their policies. And again, Mm -hmm. you're at their mercy if something pretty dramatic about their usage um, policy changes, then you might be kind of up a creek where you might want to move away from them, but yet you've invested in a particular ecosystem. So maybe being more Mm -hmm. spread could be a little bit of an advantage there or being able to, maybe that's something we should talk about is how you would change, you know, how portable is your data? How could you, you know, make a transition to something else if something dramatic did come up, something to consider. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically of, let's say, Google Docs. You've got your whole everything in Google Docs, not a super portable format. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have to go in and export or convert all that or export it to PDF or, 
know, even though they have things like Google Takeout, which will allow you to get all your data out, you know, it's not uh, the, the be all end all of trying to get it into something else. Um, yeah. So, yeah, totally. Um, other disadvantages, can you think of any others that, that come to mind, Sally? Well, I guess, you know, from a personal perspective, if I invest and I know one system, that means I maybe don't know the others or I'm not as comfortable just jumping into the others. And for me personally, I often am jumping into other spheres. Like I have my personal life and I have my work life, but then I might volunteer here or be Mm -hmm. on this board or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they're communicating in a different ecosystem than what I'm used to or whatever. So keeping your skills flexible enough to be able to interact um, as needed, you know, often at work, we use teams for video conferencing, but knowing enough about zoom, which isn't really in any of these ecosystems, um, but knowing enough about it so that I can comfortably, you know, communicate there, have the setup that I need there is important. So um, maybe just continuing to keep your skills sharp, evaluating new tools as they come out or become very popular. Yeah. Now that you say that, I guess I would recommend if you do kind of go the, I'm going to take best of breed or what makes me most comfortable in all of these areas, rather than to stick to one's ecosystem, there are tools, bridge connector type tools that can make life of sharing data and making things work together a little bit better. Some of them are free. Some of them are paid for. Uh, Zapier is one. If then, then that is another. Yes. Yep. Uh, yep. There are um, you know options there, and it's you know that adds a little bit of complexity because now you're at the mercy of a middleman, you know, to, to make all this stuff work together, and you got to be a little bit kind of comfortable with being geeking out on some of this stuff. Uh, and learning how the, how the connectors work, uh, but that is possible. So it's not that uh, you pick one and you can't go anyplace else, or you 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 pick ten different ones and you can't talk to each other. There are some gray areas where where you want to do that. I guess going back to being at one vendor's mercy, one thing that sometimes happens is that that vendor starts charging for a service that had been free or charges more or goes a different direction says, well, we're going to more cater toward more bigger business than, than you small businesses or medium sized businesses. And it just doesn't fit you anymore. So you kind of have to deal with their decision at that point and make a decision going forward. So I guess the moral of the story is that none of the ecosystems are, probably where you want to be 100% of the time. You probably want to keep your options open or be familiar with the others, at least, even if you mainly live in one, um, have Mm -hmm. the flexibility to use the others or other best products that come out um, to supplement what you're doing in your favorite ecosystem. For sure. Yeah. I would say to our listeners, if you have a favorite ecosystem and reasons for reasons that we haven't listed here, let us know. Um, or if you can think of some pluses and minuses that uh, we didn't talk about, love to, to hear those too, or maybe even some success or horror stories that you may have had because you, you know, tied, hitched your, hitched your boat to a particular, um, you know, vendor and you know, you had some issues as a result of that. So interesting conversation though, because it does 
really affect how e- efficient and how much of a good steward you are with with the tools that you have or how much you fight against it and how much time that is spent just kind of working with the tools versus, you know, doing the ministry. Um, it becomes less enhancing ministry and more just trying to maintain or, you know, spreading water, so to speak. So good stuff. Definitely. Sally, we should probably move along with our show. And that means we are to our tips slash picks of the week. What do you got this week? Well, this week, I'm going to share an article from Tech and Learning uh, Online Magazine, um, which is obviously education-centric, but I actually was thinking about this article in terms of ministry and church ministry in particular. Um, And it's a topic we've talked about before on Wells Tech over the years, um, and it has to do with QR codes. So QR codes are those square, scannable codes that will take you somewhere on the web when you scan them. And so you can use them to get people where you want them to land on your website or on some website along the way. And the concept here is that teachers can allow their kids to use their phones in class. That's kind of how the article is written because your phone camera will scan these codes and you can make use of that to get students where you want them to be. Um, And they list a lot of different QR code generators in the article, which um, is, I think, very advantageous for anyone who's listening, not just for teachers or um, particularly in ministry settings. It's really nice to be able to direct people to some content that you have on the web and using a QR code is a really easy way to do that. It used to be back in the day, Martin, that you had to download a special software to use the camera on your phone and read the QR code. But now just um, typically uh, smartphone cameras do read these and direct you um, to the particular link that's there. And I was uh, remembering, I don't know if we talked about it on the show. It seems like maybe we did that someone had just put a QR code on the back of the pew in front of you. So when you sat down for church, you could easily scan a QR code to maybe, um, record your attendance in in worship or whatever it is that you'd want them to pay attention to. It could be easily there. Our church includes a paper uh, um, attendance sheet. We call it the connection card and people can put prayer requests and all kinds of things. But also on that paper is a QR code and the pastor announces every week, please fill out your connection card or use the QR code to fill it out online. And it just links to a, a Google form, basically, that asks the same questions as are on the paper form so people can have their preference. So creating QR codes is a good thing and something that you might want to consider for easy communication around anything you want to drive people to on your website in particular. Um, One that's mentioned here is Google Chrome. If you use the Chrome browser, there's a little icon on the address bar on the far right that has an arrow pointing off to the right. And when you click that icon, there's an option right there from anywhere you are on the web to create a QR code. So Google makes it super easy. If you live in the Google ecosystem, (laughs) you can easily (laughs) create QR codes um, right there in the Chrome browser. Just uh, click on that special icon. So um, if that's not good enough for you or you're totally against the Chrome browser, there's plenty of other options in this article for you to create QR codes. Um, Again, reach out to Wells Tech and tell us how you're using QR codes in your ministry because everyone's, uh, I think, eager to learn and make use of better and better communication tools all the time. That's my pick of the week. 
Very nice. I was just checking Edge to see if they have a similar feature, and I don't see it. They have a share, and they share to you know Twitter, WhatsApp, Outlook, all that stuff, but I don't see any QR codes. So Google's got that one for sure. That's a. I didn't know that. That's a great tip. It's QR it's like, codes are kind of an interesting. Hang on. They, Oh. I have a correction for you. I just Googled it. Try right-clicking on the web page and see if it's in the right-click menu, anywhere where it's blank on Edge. Is there a uh, create see. QR code for this page in the right-click menu? Or are my sources incorrect? I, oh, yeah, there is. How about create that? QR code for this page. Looky there. Built just a different way to do it. Right-click to the share and did not find it. So, cool. All right. Whatever That's the way ecosystem you're show. In. Yeah, just in time is how <laughs> there we do you go. it here. <laughs> so, <laughs> QR codes are kind of interesting because they have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when they first came around, they were novel and everybody said, hey, look at this. And then it seems like they almost disappeared. You know, like there was three, five, four, five years where you just never saw them. I think people couldn't find a use for them. They didn't, uh, you know, didn't fit a need. And now they're everywhere. And they mm -hmm. are the way to kind of connect, um, you know, the analog world with the digital world. You see mm -hmm. them on billboards and you see them on your TV screen. At restaurants to get the material. menu. Uh, it's on the table. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody now kind of knows how to use them. And I think that was probably the tipping point where, you know, they were super easy to use with whatever phone you had uh, to, mm -hmm. to get to the site. But yeah. So you see some interesting use cases now. So good stuff. All right. My pick of the week is actually something, and I can't say that I used it, but I have, it has been used on me. And that <laughs> is a product called Bonjoro, B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. And uh, the, the way I was introduced to it is I signed up for some online uh, coding training and this was uh, actually a fairly mainstream instructor with uh, probably hundreds or thousands of, of students or subscribers, so to speak. And the day after I signed up, I got this video message from him personalized where he actually said my name and welcomed me to uh, my subscription and talked about some features of the course. And I thought that is super cool that I have the actual instructor who I've never met or communicated with in any other way other than subscribing to his course, send me a personalized video message. And it was professionally done. It's only about a 30 second message. And I sure, I'm sure he sits down at night and does, you know, five, 10, 20 of these um, personal video messages, but he used, so I looked it up and it was Bongiorno and basic are Bonjoro, and they host the service. Uh, so they host the videos, they have templates. It really looks professional. You can brand what surrounds the video. And I'm sure on the back end, as I'm looking at their site, there's all kinds of uh, analytic tools to see who opened it and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's some ministry applications here because when I got it, I immediately thought, hey, this would be pretty cool, at least in a number of ministry circumstances or scenarios I can think of. You know, the, the obvious one is, you know, welcoming, 
know, visitors or something like that. Although sometimes you want to do that in person, but that's more and more a challenge. You know, just finding somebody home if you want to stop over and, you know, do a, you know, do a quick follow up. So this would be a personalized way, probably more um, read or opened than just an email that you might send. But then I thought of other applications. One of them would be uh, thanking volunteers. Uh, so you've got a bunch of volunteers who are working on a project and, hey, just send a, a little video, personal video, thank you, mentioning them by name. Um, I think there's other all, all kinds of other ministry applications where uh, this might come in handy. So pricing-wise, you get 50 free videos a month before you have to start paying. So I think for a lot of our congregations or schools, you know, that would be a great way to start just to see kind of how it works. You can also have your recipient do testimonials. So if you have a program or some reason to receive feedback from the individuals that you're interacting with, you can do that. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to set it up, but this just kind of struck out stuck out to me is maybe one way for you to stand out in in your uh thank you ministry or your welcome ministry or assimilation ministry or encouragement ministry um lots of opportunities here you know maybe it's even a short video devotion or prayer maybe it's part of your prayer chain something like that um please pray for kind of thing I think there's all kinds of things if you think through this a little bit, but and there's other services like this. But Bonjoro is the one I was uh, I um, saw, and I think there's some potential there for for ministry. Cool ideas, Martin. Um, our pastor, I remember coming to actually visit online our new church as we were preparing to move to the Mankato area. And he was really great about sending a really wonderful follow-up email. And so I'm sure mm -hmm. he would appreciate the idea of, of segmenting, augmenting that with actually a personal video message. So yeah, this was stuff. the first, I mean, this is obviously a sales tool for the business world, but um, customer service, that kind of stuff. But I think uh, there's some, Neat, neat applications here. Mm -hmm. All right, Sally, community news and feedback. And uh, today I just wanted to promote some of the areas that I am overly impressed with as far as having great communication among some uh, unique Wells-centric groups or Wells and Ls-centric groups. Um, just a couple of Facebook groups that I find always have great information and sharing all kinds of uh, interesting things, always, um, you know, giveaways where we're cleaning out our closets. Are you interested in any of these things? Whatever it may be. Um, this, this person said, if you're looking to get scooter boards, maybe uh, go to Harbor Freight and get a couple of moving dollies instead, and they might work just as well or better for more affordable. So just Wells teachers sharing information. Um, it's a pretty small group, only a little over 300, but there's another group, Wells educators during COVID-19 and beyond that obviously grew out of COVID-19 and people wanting to communicate and collaborate. Um, and this group has over 1,500 members. And again, they're regularly sharing, asking questions, um, talking about things they no longer use and maybe someone wants to 
um, make use of or things they need. And people say, yeah, we've got an extra copy. We can share that with you, uh, whatever it may be. So uh, great Facebook groups for Wells teachers. And I know there are many others. There's grade specific and subject specific Facebook groups that kind of spawned off of this big group um, during COVID-19. And so look for those as well. And then we wouldn't, it wouldn't be right if Wells Tech didn't mention Wells Intersections, which actually uh, came out of a Wells Tech conference way back in 2015. Pastor James Aderman started this group, and it's up to over 750 members, Martin. And they talk about primarily technology and ministry. Um, Pastor Aderman often has interesting uh, websites and articles and things to share, questions to ask, to to just spark conversation and have people consider things and, you know, plenty of interaction from others as well. And so a really great group to ask and share knowledge, um, especially around technology and ministry. So those are just a few of my favorites that I follow on Facebook. If you aren't a member, uh, I believe all three of them are private groups. So you go there and ask to join and um, you'll be admitted right away, I'm sure. But um, just uh, follow the links on the Wells Tech website. I'll just put in a quick plug for Wells Tech and for anyone to share with us. Um, you can go to wellstech.wells.net and there's lots of ways to share with us. There's where you'll find all the show notes and links that we talk about during the show, um, a calendar of upcoming episodes and lots of other Wells Tech goodness, our historic um, ministry resources, picks of the week, all kinds of resources we've shared since 2008, Martin, we've been sharing resources. So there's a lot here. So mm -hmm. check it out. Okay. Neat. Um, I think that's going to do it. I am Sally uh, looking forward to kind of getting back into the swing of things. In back the to new, school for us. You know, back to school season. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to welcome uh, Jason and Rachel back uh, doing our educational focused uh, podcasts here in September. But before we bring them back, we're going to invite uh, somebody we had on a, a quite a while ago, Chris Hunt, who is now with BDJ Tech, to talk about interactive panels. I know a lot of our schools are moving away from smart boards into these touch screens, these actual televisions that are interactive panels. I know that where my wife is now teaching, they they all have these interactive panels and they are super cool. I, I mounted a couple of three of them uh, about a month ago, three weeks ago for head of school and got a chance to play with them. And I'm excited to talk about these with Chris and some of the the cool things that they have there. And I know he's been in touch with a lot of our schools and helped them with not just Chromebooks, but these interactive panels and um, not a good, a good kickoff topic for, um, for the school year to talk about uh, this educational tech that's out there. Pretty cool. So tune in a couple weeks for our conversation with Chris. Sally, thanks for the conversation as usual. Uh, now we got to get back to work and uh, do some other stuff for the Senate. Happy to do that. But uh, so happy that you, uh, all of you uh, took the time out to, to listen to us chit chat about uh, ecosystems and that kind of stuff. Uh, more goodness coming up in a couple of weeks. Please join us then. Thanks. Bye-bye.